so glad you guys can be here today. I'm Pastor Cyrus. I'm the associate pastor here, and it is my privilege to speak with you this morning. And we're going to continue to talk about the season of grace. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? All right, that's what I like to hear. Thanksgiving is a wonderful time of year um, for so many reasons, and uh, it's a fascinating holiday. And one of the reasons I like Thanksgiving is because of uh, a man named Abraham Lincoln. Any of you guys heard of Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, good, familiar with him. So October 3rd, 1863, he made this proclamation where he set up um, Thanksgiving on the fourth, I think it was the fourth Tuesday, believe it or not. Um, at that time, but he said this in his speech. He said, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. Woo! Abraham Lincoln bringing it. Yeah. So anyway, that's one of the reasons I love this time of year. And we're going to continue to talk about giving thanks later in the message, but if you have your Bible on your phone or something, um, turn to the book of Ephesians or tap to the book of Ephesians, if you would please. If you don't have a Bible with you today, um, there are some available there in the pews. Grab one of those, and if you don't have one, we would like to give you that Bible. We would like you to take that Bible with you home, read it, enjoy it. Write some notes in it, bring it back next Sunday and use it for the next message and then again take it home. That's our gift to you. Excuse me. I'm getting over it if you know what I mean. (laughs) All right. So the season of grace, we're continuing to think about grace and let's talk about first what we mean by grace. Grace is this idea that God's undeserved favor. God stoops down out of love to show us his favor. This is something that God is doing on our behalf. Now the word grace gets used a lot of different ways, um, but primarily we're talking about grace as this thing that is undeserved. It's a demonstration of the love of God. And so each week we have been looking at grace from a different point of view. And so if you would repeat after me, we'll talk about the first grace. Grace is who God is. Grace is who God is. That's right. And we look at Ephesians 1, 7, and we'll look at uh, Ephesians 2, 7, too. They both have this beautiful phrase in here. Listen, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The grace of God is a direct result of his love as demonstrated through Christ on the cross. And it shows us the riches of blessings. And now the the reason I love this idea of riches is because God's grace is super abounding. It says that in Romans chapter 5. 
that grace is, goes beyond what we can even com- really comprehend. So, the riches of his grace are demonstrated in Christ. That's just who he is. That's just a part of who God is. So, uh, let's go to the, the next week we talked about grace is how God saves. Repeat after me. Grace is how God saves. Wow, you guys are getting the hang of it. Ephesians 2, 7 and 8. And listen for grace, okay? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in, the, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Again, God's generosity is seen Through his saving grace. Okay? So, yeah, amen, Gil. Hallelujah. So, grace is who God is. Grace is how God saves. And grace is how God equips. That's right. And that's what we looked at last week. And this is... Four, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given to each one of us, and it was, it was given to us a gift. So this gift, we would refer to these as spiritual gifts. Every believer gets one when they enter into the family of God. You may not know what your spiritual gift is, and that's okay, um, Through your willing, faithful service to the Lord, he will make that evident. That's one of the things that God does. As you make yourself available to serve in a variety of ways, God begins to show you how he has gifted you. And so you might not know today, but that's no problem. Don't wait until you know. Start getting involved. Start asking the Lord how he would use you. Start serving, and he will make it evident. So, this is a gift of grace to equip you and to build up the church. So, use the gift that God has given you. Use that grace to serve and build up the church, ultimately for the glory of God. So, you pass on the grace given to you to honor God and encourage his people. Okay? So, what we're seeing is that grace is this multifaceted, amazing thing that permeates really our lives as, as believers. So, you might say that God has demonstrated his grace, and, it, and grace is really kind of all around us. So, grace is who God is. That's kind of like grace is above us. That's God, that's who he is. Grace is how God saves, that's grace toward us. I don't know if you noticed that in Ephesians 2.7, but that's what it says. The immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. So that's God is how, or grace is how God saves, extending that grace to us, toward us. And then it's for us, right? He gives us something. He's like, here's some grace. Here's a gift for you. And now we're going to look at this next concept And that grace should be from us. So not only is grace for us, but grace should be from us. And repeat after me. This is today's. Grace is how Christians respond. 
And we're going to look at two major groups that we respond to. One is to, to people, and then the other is to God. But grace is how Christians are to respond. So look with me in the book of Ephesians. We continue. We're going to be in 4, verse 29. So grace is this way we are to respond, but unfortunately we don't always respond that way. I, I titled the message, Speak Up. And that's because we need to speak up in a way that is building up. And we're going to look at that. But uh, all too often, my words have gotten me in trouble. Anybody relate to that? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. My sweet daughter raises her hand. I love it. <laughs> and usually... Um, it's when I say something that I know I shouldn't, and sometimes I even know I shouldn't say it before I say it, so I kind of murmur it. I kind of say it under my breath. I wait till somebody is out of the room. But unfortunately, they're not always out of uh, earshot, right? They can still hear. And so you get this comment, what was that? Right? Oh, I've done that a few times to my sweet children. Uh, what was that, sweetheart? <laughs> Sorry, you kind of trailed off there. Was that a niner in there? I didn't quite hear you, sweetie. There are all sorts of opportunities that we have uh, to use our words in a way that is great and encouraging and sometimes not so much. But we have this tendency to um, say something under our breath. We murmur. We, uh, we wish we could take it back, but it's too late. And the problem is, it's because we're often speaking down to someone and not really speaking up, right? So look with me, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Would you read it along with me, please? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Whew. There's a lot in this. But the concept of speaking up, like I said, is, is not merely the, the volume of your voice. It's not merely when you speak up, although those things are both important, but I mean it kind of as, as an opposite. It's kind of juxtaposing this concept of speaking down to someone. Instead, we need to speak up. We need to speak up in a way that is building people up, fitting with the occasion. So let's start at the beginning of this verse. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So this idea of corrupting is like a rotting, sapping of strength, ruining of beauty, disgusting kind of rotting. And what it reminds me of is a couple things. One is it reminds me of fruit. How many of you guys love fresh strawberries? How many of you guys love the fuzzy ones? Yeah, not so much, right? But if you've ever gone and picked fresh strawberries, you might get 
a whole bunch, some of that are just barely ripe, some that are a little green, but sometimes you get that one that like maybe even fell into your bucket that you don't even remember putting there. But because it was hanging out with the rest of those beautiful bowl of strawberries, what happens? It shares its fur coat with the rest of them, right? And, and it just, that, that rot and corruption just kind of spreads to the rest of that delicious fruit. Lord, help us if that's our speech. If that's us and if that's the way we communicate, we are the corrupting ones. We are the ones that are spreading that rot. Some of you say, well, I only eat meat and potatoes. And I would say, invite me to lunch sometime. Because I like that too. And you might better identify with Termites. Termites are amazing little creatures. And what are they really, really good at? They're really, really good at eating wood, right? And so you could have a beautiful building. You could have a beautiful piece of furniture, a structure that looks strong and tall. And in reality, there's corruption because of termites, right? And then upon further inspection, something that looks so beautiful is actually only held together by the facade of paint. Why? Because corruption has gotten in there and sapped the strength of something that could be so incredibly strong. And termites work little by little. They don't do it all at once. And unfortunately, our words are the same way. They corrupt, they rot, they destroy little by little. And we've missed opportunities to do great things, but instead what happens is we end up being part of a process that steals beauty and life, and it corrupts strength, and it can even destroy identity. All because our hearts are really being displayed by what we say. Listen to Jesus, if you don't believe me. In Luke 6, verses 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. And here it is, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's probably the most disturbing thing when I realize that my words are corrupting words, are rotting words, the reason that's so disturbing is because that's a reflection of my own heart. So not only does it do damage to those who receive them, but it also displays the sin and death that's within me. I like the way that Colossians 3.8 says it. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Those things need to get away from the way we speak to each other. 
Because those are the kinds of things that do not bring life. They don't bring grace. They don't bring favor. They bring destruction, corruption, rottenness to relationships, to hearts. And that's not why Jesus came. And that's not what our salvation's for. And that's not what the gift that we've received is for. Thankfully, the verse doesn't end there. and We don't all go home right now, right? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. And you know what I think of? When I think of creation, when I think of little critters and animals that build stuff, you know what I think of? I think I heard it. Yeah, especially because we're in Albany and Corvallis is down the road. I think of beavers. Beavers are amazing builders. I was watching this, um, well, it was a hunting show, and, and it was, they had a little segment on beavers because um, I guess they're delicious. I don't know. Haven't had one, okay? Um, but these beavers build amazing structures, and the way that they do it is remarkable. They'll get mud, and they get twigs, and they, like, put them in their hand paws, and they kind of stand up even, and they, like, put them right where they need them, and they, like, pack it in, and they create this whole little kingdom with water that surrounds their home to protect it so they're safe from predators. And it's interesting because they are building up a place of safety. And what's interesting is that usually when we are using corrupting words, it's because we are more interested in our kingdom, Cyrus's kingdom, and your kingdom. And corrupting words are concerned with our own kingdom. But the words that build up are building up into the kingdom of his dear son. And those are the words that we really need to focus on because we need to be focused on what is God doing and how can our words be used for building up. Beavers are amazing. And one of the things that beavers do is they know exactly what they need and when they need it. So beaver dams have little twigs, they've got mud, but they've also got some pretty big trees. I was talking to um, some people that have beavers working in their backyard. Here in our church, they, heard, they were here at the first service and they said, we've been watching beavers, they've been falling trees in our backyard. And what's amazing is they know what they need. <coughs> like I need water. <coughs> they know what they need. And so you never see a beaver dropping a big tree on top of their beautiful um, den, right? That would crush it. Yet you and I may sometimes drop a big tree of words right on top of somebody. Right? We might think, well, this is the truth. This is what they need to hear. And so you drop the big tree of truth and it crushes them. Well, what's the problem? Well, what I said was true, but yeah, was it in love? Was it truth in love? Or as this verse says, it may have been good for building up, but 
did it fit the occasion? Well, what I said was true, but did it fit the occasion? This is sometimes even more difficult to do because you think you know what needs to be said, but do you know when it needs to be said? I had to figure that out in, in my earlier years of ministry, like last week. You see something that you know needs to be changed. Does that mean it's the time to deliver the whole message? Or maybe do you need to just pat some mud in there and a few twigs so that you can get to it at another time? This is where you and God, the Holy Spirit, are walking hand in hand and you're relying on him to tell you what is needed at the time. This is why an intimate, close relationship with the God who is grace, that has saved you by grace, and who has equipped you with grace, you need to live in that grace. You need to respond to situations in grace. And the reason you have to be so close to the Holy Spirit is because he wants to demonstrate the fruit of his presence in your life, right? Galatians 5, through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And if you know what's right for the occasion, as the Holy Spirit is directing you, it's much easier to handle the situation. So I have an uncle who's passing away. They're calling in hospice, his cancer, he has fought it for years. And I went and visited him last Sunday, had a great talk with him. But if I would have come in there and I would have tried to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, joy. Hey everybody, so glad to see you, how's it going everybody, woo! And I brought this like joyful enthusiasm. It wouldn't have fit the occasion Does that make sense? But love fit the occasion. Peace fit the occasion. Kindness, patience. Those kind. Do you see what I'm saying? Because our words need to bring favor. That's what we're talking about. But only as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words have opportunity for destruction, but also for life, for beauty, for building up, to extend grace. Bring favor, kindness, strength, and refreshing, whatever might be needed for the occasion. Instead of handling a situation like I may have handled it in the past and will maybe in the future, but I'm working on it. I try not to come with the what are you doing approach, but it's better to come at it with the how may I help you? Can I help with something? Right? To your child, to your spouse, they're, really they're kind of getting to the same point, but one is going to tear down and the other is going to build up. Does that make sense? So instead of, what are you doing? Why'd you do that? Can I help with something? How might I serve you today? Right? 
Never heard anybody get upset at that one. Colossians 4, 6 says it this way, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So, again, Thanksgiving. Have some food? Anybody have some Thanksgiving food? Yeah. Anybody have Thanksgiving food without salt? Not as good. I'm just going to be real honest. Not as good. My sweet wife made lots of delicious food. And as we sit down to eat, she takes a bite of something she made. Looked good. I hadn't eaten it yet. And she, Holy Spirit moved in her life and she had a confession. She said, I forgot the salt. You're going to want to add salt to that one. And uh, you know what? It was really good when you added the salt. Right? It's interesting because salt makes things better. It makes things tasty, right? But do your words, do your words make things better? Are your words making life a little bit tastier? Right? The other thing that salt does is that salt preserves, salt strengthens. Do your words preserve? Do your words strengthen? Are they appropriate? Do you know how to answer each one? Well, I told you that grace is how Christians respond. And we just looked at how Christians respond to people. But grace is also how we respond to God. So repeat after me. Grace is how Christians respond. All right. So how do we extend grace to God? I thought God is the one that extends it to us. Well... Let's look at Ephesians 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read it together. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So where's the grace? Where's the grace in in this verse? You know, it's actually in the giving thanks. You see, when Paul wrote this in Greek, the word for grace is charis, and that's why I named my daughter charis. And the word for thanks, or to give thanks, is you. Charisto. And it's that idea of there's um, a positive prefix. So it's to give good graces. And so, in re- really, in essence, what we're doing is remember how I said that grace is undeserved favor? So, giving thanks is a lot like returning the favor back to God. Because what we're doing is we're recognizing who he is, we're recognizing what he has done, and we're what? We're honoring him. We're returning the favor. We're saying thank you. In fact, for our Spanish speakers out there, how do you say thank you in Spanish? Gracias. You know what gracias looks an awful lot like? Grace. Isn't that interesting? So this concept of giving thanks is really the concept of good graces. 
And we have lots of reasons to give thanks. Let's look at this verse. The first part, giving thanks always for, for everything. This being not only the Christian responsibility, but it is also an excellent way to transform and have a healthy heart. You see, the heart that is full of thanksgiving, the heart that is full of returning the favor back to God, is the heart that is humble and is not self-focused. Right? One of my prayers for my family and for my kids, since we started having them, and we've got five, so I've been praying for a while. Ruth will be 12 in February. And one of the things I've always prayed is that we would have a thankful family. Because the things that we have, they come and go. The people that we love, they come and go. But knowing God and recognizing who he is and his place in our life, that should always be the same. Because when our heart is in a healthy, thankful place, it's in a humble, happy place. Because we realize that, that God is one that is ultimately at work in the hearts of men, in our own hearts. He's the one that is working, and we can trust him, and we don't have to feel that burden of trying to do it all on our own. The next part of this verse, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father is the proper object of our thanksgiving and prayer. But the thanks that we are able to give is all happening in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if it wasn't through his death, burial, and resurrection for our sins, it wouldn't be possible to have that relationship with him. It wouldn't be possible for us to know him like we do. And so, really, the character of our Lord Jesus Christ needs to be the very character that we display. Because it's through him that we have been brought into this relationship of grace. Where wrath is exchanged for blessing. For suffering we get reward. For misery there is glory. So in short, the whole aspect of life is brightened even though there is darkness in great trials and sorrows because those are turning us into the image of Christ. You see, God is at work within each and every one of us. His grace continues to work in and through us so that we might be humble, thankful people and so that we also might give grace to others. You see, grace is how Christians are to respond. And it's seen through how we treat and talk and speak to one another. And it's also how we see and relate and give thanks to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says it like this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Sometimes you go to church because you're looking for God's will in your life. Well, today you found it. It is to give thanks. If you find yourself going through life and you're not a thankful person, then I would say you're not where God wants you to be. You're not in his will. 
well, Cyrus, you don't know what I'm going through. You're right, I don't. But God does. And he has already made provision for that thing that you're going through. Christ on the cross gave you hope and peace, not just for the future, but for today. The Holy Spirit that is within you, that is at work within you, the the gifts that God has given you, he has already made it possible for you to enjoy those and experience them every single day. I don't know what you're going through, but he does. And he has prepared a way for you. And it's in his son, and it's in grace. So what does this look like practically? Maybe in light of this last week? Here's how we can apply this truth. I'm going to get this from uh, the bottom of your sermon notes that are in the worship program. You'll notice there's a little thing that's uh, carrying on the conversation. It's the thing that uh, you kind of look at and then forget about. But I hope that's not the case. I hope you guys are using this because this is a tool for you to engage in the life of our church with what we're studying Those passages at the bottom of the page, those relate to the messages that you're hearing. And they give you opportunity to have conversations with your family or with others. Those questions or comments that we write down there is so that you and God can continue to work through this. And so you'll notice these are very similar to that. But the first thing I would encourage you to do is ask God to help you be aware of your words. You may be sitting here and being like, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't think I, my words were corrupting or, or rotting. That, okay. When I was young, I didn't realize the power of my words. I usually made jokes and that seemed to be okay until it didn't fit the occasion and then it wasn't so Okay. And that still happens today on occasion. Sorry, wifey. (laughs) It'll be a real passionate discussion, if you know what I mean. That's what some of the Christian people call arguing. Real passionate discussion. And uh, something funny will come to mind, and I'll share it with my my, my lovely wife, and she won't laugh. (laughs) Interesting. So I need to talk to God and say, God, help me be aware of my words. Help me recognize when my words were not used for building up, when they weren't filled with grace. The other thing we need to do is we need to listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting to speak. You might not be one of those uh, people that struggle with talking too much. You might be a person that struggles with not talking enough. And by that, I mean when the Holy Spirit is prompting you to speak words of grace and life and beauty and strength, you're silent. That's no good. You're missing opportunities to demonstrate the love of God. You're missing opportunities to strengthen and build up the body of believers. So talk to God about that. Listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting. He may be 
giving you the spiritual elbow in the ribs. Or that could be just who you're sitting next to. I don't know. And then also think about your words. Make your rotten words right. So if you have had rotten words, if you have had those corrupting, fuzzy mold spreading words, those termite infesting kind of words, make it right. Speak up. Speak in a way that builds up, that gives grace instead of tears down or destroys. Now before I leave you, I don't want you to walk out of here thinking this is something I've got to do on my own. Because that is not the case. This is something that you cannot do on your own. You cannot do it in your own strength. It is something that must be done as you walk with the Lord. This is a dependent on God kind of thing. This is, again, something that God wants to do with you by grace. The Holy Spirit is at work within you and you need to depend on him. And in those times and in those moments where you don't feel like you can do it, you need to realize you can't do it on your own. And that should take you to him. I'm not trying to just give you more laws and more rules to follow. I'm trying to help you recognize that it is by grace that you've been saved. Because there is a God who is demonstrating his love by grace. And he extends that to us so that we can extend it to others. But we cannot do it on our own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for grace. We thank you for the book of Ephesians. We thank you for all of your word that demonstrates who you are, what you're doing, what you've done. And I pray now that as we prepare our hearts for a little bit more singing, that we would remember that why we're here is ultimately to know you and to be changed, to be more like your son. Too often our words do not build up. Lord, help us to see that, help us to realize that, and help us to live life differently. Help us to truly speak up. Speak in a way that builds other people up. God, your goodness has been seen in Jesus. And we want it to be seen in us because we are like Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would continue to contemplate your grace. And how it is training us and transforming us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.